Alright, I'm excited for today's podcast. We have Will Kane on. You may have heard of him, the Will Kane show. Uh, this is gonna be fun. We, we, I don't know, Saru, it wasn't like we didn't plan on doing this. It just all of a sudden was like, wait a minute, it's been a year, so we should have Will on. And I'm really looking forward to it. I think I want to talk about him, the show, how everything's going, how everybody sort of hates him. But I don't know that everybody hates him. I think there's this vocal group of people that hate him. They hate him because of his politics. But I never, like, everything came to a head, I really think, this week with the April Fool's joke on High yeah. Noon, where it looked like he was supposed to be filling in, and then, People were so happy to make it look like Will got dissed that we were talking about having him on last week, and then that thing happened, so it's perfect. I was going to say, timing couldn't be more perfect, and I don't know. I mean, I fired off the tweet yesterday because I was trying to defend my boy, but I think, you know, I think... You're mouthy. Yeah, I mean, I just think you said it right. People... You know, there are going to always be people that don't like him or don't like anybody, and that's fine. And that, and a lot of those people just happen to be quote unquote news organizations. That doesn't make any a ton of sense, but um, I don't know. I think it's an interesting conversation. I have three rapid fire takes, okay, and we may morph this into something smaller stuff that I want to do, and then the will thing, and then of course we have to do an update on our life coach segment with our first client, Frank. Ton of feedback. A lot of feedback on Frank, and Sarudi and I are going to do that without Frank, but we will be checking in on Frank, TBD, at some point. But before we do that, applying for a loan is a lot like applying for a job that you don't get to interview for. Instead, loan companies make their decisions based off your credit score and history without getting to know the whole you. Now, thanks to Upstart.com, it never has to be that way again. Upstart is revolutionizing the way you borrow money by rewarding you for your job experience and education in the form of a smarter interest rate. Now, here's the deal. With the interest rates, if you're a little bit younger, listen to this thing, you may go, I'll just go ahead and do this. Some of these deals out there are brutal. And when I've dug into these and they asked me to read these for you, I went, okay, well, what what are the interest rates on this? Because I don't want to have guys get crushed. Upstart has better rates. That's why we're doing these reads, okay? Unlike traditional credit underwriting, which could be biased against people with a short credit history, Upstart goes beyond the traditional FICO score when assessing your credit worthiness. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They make it fast, simple, and easy to check your rate in less than two minutes without affecting your credit score. That's another thing you kids get to learn out there. Don't just start letting hard inquiries on your credit application all the time because it messes up your score. The best part, once your loan is approved, the funds will be transferred to you the very next business day. That's the next day. Over 100,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards, student loans, fund their wedding, or to make a large purchase. Free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is ranked number one in their company with over 300 businesses on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com slash Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes two minutes, and it's not going to affect your credit score. That's upstart.com slash Rosillo. Before we get to Will, three things. I was looking forward to Denver and Golden State. I thought Golden State was going to smash them. And not only did they smash them, they smashed them with Durant getting tossed pretty early in the third quarter. Now, as I say that, like, ooh, now I truly understand how the playoffs are going, I will freely admit, if Golden State lost at home, I would have still thought Golden State was going to beat everybody. Print the shirts. Go ahead and do it. The teams that I thought were going to be able to challenge them, I still don't think as much as I'm impressed with Harden and saving Houston's season and getting them to this point where they're flirting with these top seeds in the West. It's incredible. And I still change my mind, I think, every five minutes on who I'd vote for for MVP. But 
I'm telling you ahead of time, there was no, I thought Golden State would kill him, but I know no matter what the result was, I was still going to go, oh, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure about Denver having to play road games. Their home record is ridiculous. I think they only have seven losses at home. They're 13 and three, unless that changed in the last couple of days in one score games, because we know that didn't happen. Um, it wasn't a one score game or, you know, one, one or two points. I think they're 13 and three. It's the most wins. Seven of those wins are at home. So I like the Denver story. I like Jokic. I like Murray sometimes. I love that Millsap is still able to do this. I even like some of the role players that have found ways to go, Hey, I thought that guy was borderline, but now they're truly going to have NBA careers. But that to me, because it was so emphatic and it was without Durant, it was a real wake up call, not to the NBA or the rest of us. It was their own wake up call. I'm like, Hey, do you want to go out and just trash this other team that's supposedly just as good as us record wise? Rasillo! The Bryce Harper thing is hilarious. And I'm neither, I'm not even talking about the bat flip and the home run. I read through that Washington Post piece about the offer that was given to Harper, the two offers by the Washington Nationals. Now, I think Harper's overrated. I understand that he was hitting his prime earlier than anybody else. I think the contract itself is overrated, and it was clearly about Boris trying to get a dollar amount beyond the other record-setting dollar amount that we saw with other contracts out there because it was 13 years instead of some of these absurd projections that Boris was throwing out before and people were reporting. We went over all that stuff before. But for you, if you're the Nats, to offer Harper on the last day of the season during a game, and this is what they did, is they gave him an envelope and said, the offer's in there, we want you to be a Nat. The guy's just about to become a free agent. Okay, the season is over, he's going to become a free agent, and then you offer him 10 for $300 million, with deferred money into the 2050s. And guess what? He said no, but he thought it was a starting point, and they said, actually, it isn't a starting point. That's the deal. So I don't know if it's one of those offers. Like Dan Duquette, and I'm doing a little Red Sox thing here back in the day, but Dan Duquette used to do this thing. And, you know, look, growing up when I still really was obsessed with all this stuff, I loved Mo Vaughn, and I wanted him to keep him. And he made Mo Vaughn an offer, like, in the middle of the season that he knew Mo Vaughn would say no to, and then he ends up signing with the Angels. And GMs and teams have done this forever. And I can't tell if the Nats did that thinking he'll probably say no, but we can say we offered $300 million. Or if they actually thought it was going to work. Because if you are in an industry, and we have it with us, like we get to free agency when our contracts are up. They're all over the place. We don't have a free agency season. But you think about it and you go, okay, well, if you want to offer me an extension, but I'm up in three or I'm up in six months, then it has to make me not even want to get into negotiating and find out what other offers are out there. I mean, unless you suck at the job, then you just go, yeah, security, this is awesome, and I want to move. Uh, I've heard all sorts of ridiculous stuff, like, oh, so-and-so just got married, he's having kids, and blah, blah, whatever, we'll lowball him because his wife isn't going to want to move. His wife is really difficult. Like, this stuff happens in a profession, not just mine, but a profession that has these kinds of contracts. So for Harper to be, even as I think he's overrated, to be as good of a player he is and then to finally reach free agency and then do an extension without ever getting the offers like you can't that's the kind of offer you would make before the season started not at the very end of it and then there was another offer that was less money but was deferred to 2072 would be the last payment i'd have to look at what it really meant but that whole thing should make you realize that harper had no choice but to bounce from there, because all the Philly money, I believe, is over the course of the contract and not deferred all over the place. Russillo! Finally, on the AAF, these guys screwed up 
so bad. And we can make all sorts of jokes. The league is gone. But I had just, you know, different people that I talked to from time to time. For them to start complaining a few weeks in that we need NFL players to keep this thing viable, I can't believe they were that short-sighted. I mean, it really felt like Billy McFarlane was running the AAF. And I'm talking about from the business standpoint. I'm not talking about the football people because there's football people that I really like that are involved with the AAF. And I feel bad for the coaches. and I feel bad for the players. But to launch this league and be like, you know what? We're not going to have the villas. We'll just, we'll do these FEMA tents. They were basically hoping the NFL would help them. And if you've paid attention to what the NFL's done over the last few decades, they're not in the business of helping other leagues be a potential, I don't know, I'm not going to call it an alternative, but they're not into helping anyone become competition for what they're doing. They like it being a monopoly. And if you look at it from the player standpoint, why would any agent, why would any marginal player who's trying to figure out if he can pick up some NFL scraps, why would he take a deal with an AAF team that could either lead to injury or just jeopardize his client. So you had the league not wanting to help, and then you had the players and player reps not wanting to help. And if they went into that first season going, ah, you know, hopefully we'll just figure it out and the NFL will throw us a life raft. Look, yes, the concept of let's be some sort of feeder system to the NFL, how do you not figure out whether or not that's a yes or no answer before you launch your league? That's incredible. There's so many things that happen every week that you go, wait a minute, what did you guys do? Wait a minute, is it, is it really possibly this un, could you be this unprepared? And the answer appears to be from all the circles with what I've read and stuff that I've talked to people about, where you're just, you know, catching up with guys and be like, hey, did you hear this? <laughs> like, I'm just on the phone the other day and I go, how would you ever think that this thing was going to be viable? And then the Hurricanes owner throws in 250 million towards the end because of a gambling app to try to keep the thing afloat. And then that's gone now too? I mean, I, I'm sure some numbers will work themselves out, but, I can't imagine he just bought all of this debt for nothing last minute with no plan whatsoever. And then you wonder, like everybody always makes fun of the athlete that ends up going broke because he doesn't look at his statements, which is, again, his own fault. But there's plenty of other supposed smart people that screw up financial stuff all the time. I've wanted to uh, do this. I want, I hopefully, for those of you that hate Will Kane, I hope you like him after this conversation. Sometimes it's a call from the IRS. Sometimes it's a missed call in the middle of the night. Sometimes it's a text from an area code you don't recognize. There are dozens of words for fear, but just one for an exceptional home security company to stop fear at your door. Simply Safe. Simply Safe is home security that knows it feels good to fear less. This is award-winning 24-7 protection that protects your home through it all, through blizzards, blackouts, and burglars. Simply Safe has won awards from all the tech experts that count. The Verge calls it the best home security. It's one reader's choice from PC Magazine. It's a two-time winner of CNET Editor's Choice and a wire cutter top pick. Simply Safe has no contract, no hidden fees, and no gutches. And they always keep prices fair and honest. Thanks to Simply Safe, fear has no place in a place like home. Try Simply Safe with free shipping and free returns. So think about that, man. You're going to get a 60-day risk-free trial as well. So if you're on the fence about it, go, hey, you know what? I'll just order the stuff. If it doesn't work out for me, you can have two months to send it back. Order now and have your home protected within a week. Go to simplysafe.com slash Ryan, that's R-Y-E-N, to get started today. That's simplysafe.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Be sure to go there so you know that we sent you. Simplysafe.com slash Ryan. Will, I don't know how you want to be introduced now after this latest controversy. I know sometimes like Van Pelt used to introduce people as America's guest. 
I'm feeling like after the practical joke for April Fools that you're America's enemy. Like, how do you feel? Do you feel like you've been dinged somewhat a little bit more than you thought you were? <laughs> I don't. Man, the funny thing is, Ryan, I, I got to tell you, and Srudi can attest to this. I usually walk in every day, you know, in my personal interactions and in what I believe about the world and sports, and I know what to say. I know what I think. I know what to do. Yeah. Man, I was stunned. I was flabbergasted. I had no idea how to respond. I think I turned to Srudi and I said, hey, what do I tweet here? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Okay, before we go too far, just to set it up as, yeah. as I should have, there was an April Fool's joke. Most of them are always terrible. Brady, the ultimate, like Brady sometimes I think is 70 years old with his I'm retiring, I joined Twitter tweet, um, which is perfect, Brady. But you went on High Noon sort of. So give us the backstory of how High Noon pulled a prank on you about co-hosting. This is actually probably the most funny part of the entire story is a couple months ago, um, I got into it with Stephen A, par for the course, on first take, <laughs> and there are fans across ESPN of Stephen A and what he does and how he does it and his entertainment factor. And a lot of these fans are actually involved in other shows. So there's a guy named Ryan Cortis who is involved with High Noon and all of the Ride Home projects yeah, in the afternoon yeah. block. And he tweeted out, look at Stephen A embarrass Will or something like that. I can't remember the exact terminology. And then I went on my show later that day and I was like, all these parakeets around ESPN, chirp, 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 Stephen A's great, right? And um, he renamed himself Parakeet on Twitter. And then we had awkward like, hi, how are you? down in New York at the seaport. So the backdrop of that is I get a text from Parakeet, Cortez, on Sunday. Hey, would you be willing to come on high noon and do a bit where it's like you're filling in for Bomani and it's an April Fool's joke? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Cool. And so the emails start flying and then I fly into – not flying to, I go into New York that day and they all kind of like, what do we want to do? How do we want to do it? We plan it. And, and I'm game and whatever. And I'm okay being the butt of the joke. Cause I mean, I'd like to think I take what I say seriously, but not myself too seriously. That's very true. It's actually pretty rare. And I, I wish, I wish people understood that about you. As passionate as you are about everything you're doing, you're incredibly, it's not just self deprecating, but there's, you have an awareness that I, I think very few of us have. Well, I appreciate that. Unfortunately, that awareness didn't extend to everybody else in the wake of this joke. So I do this thing, and here's the thing. I I got to be honest, Ryan. I showed my wife, and she was like, is that real? So I have no trust now. Did you even know? Did you know when you saw it, oh, that's not a joke on Will? Is that That's a joke on the audience. Be real. Did you know, Ryan? Here's the problem, and I'll, I'll admit, is that I saw Saruti's tweet about, I can't believe how many people thought this was real. Until like so, I hadn't actually seen it from the beginning. I kind of caught it halfway through as the story was developing. Right. So I didn't. Well, the first time I watched it, I already knew that it wasn't real. So I'd like to be able to say that I'd be able to figure that out. But you sold it really well. Like you did a good job. But I think it's kind of the bigger point is the way everybody was like, "Oh man, good for High Noon, clown <laughs> Will Kane. He's the worst. He sucks." A lot of that has to do with. Something I've always felt like it's happened more and more the last few years is people are rooting for a result they want so badly that they don't really care about what they're reading or seeing or hearing. So people wanted you to be clowned on by High Noon specifically so badly they weren't ever going to look at it any other way. I think that is exactly true, and I believe that you probably weren't rooting for that outcome, have some level of critical thinking skills, and have at least been involved in television to some degree to realize how staged this entire thing is. 
So I go on High Noon. I sit in the seat. By the way, it's a pre-taped show, which means there was a rehearsal, which also means my exact line about calling them jerks was run through twice. And (laughs) the direction in which I was going to walk off was negotiated. (laughs) And we do this bit. Bomani pops up and says, April Fool's, joke's on you. And I'm like, you mean I'm not hosting? And then I call them jerks and he calls me a jerk. And that's that. And then everybody runs with it. Deadspin and for the win and awful announcing. And to my biggest surprise, when our boy Nuno, who works on the Will Kane show, emails me that day, the New York Post all bought that I was the subject of some internal ESPN April Fools, that I'm the butt of everybody's joke. And I think you're exactly right. They wanted it to be true so badly that they were willing to suspend logic that there is no trap door next to the desk. Yeah, do the people realize how a set works? <laughs> that we don't make these magic, like, Greeny doesn't have a, a thing he pops out of. Like, exactly. you can see what's going on. So, like, there's no way Bomani could be hiding from you. Six foot four Bomani Jones was not, to my ignorance, hiding under the desk. <laughs> you know, I would have noticed Bomani at my feet, but uh, they didn't need that detail. Nor do I think they even care that it was revealed in the end. They got what they wanted, which was, like you said, make fun of me for, for 24, 48 hours and, and everybody's happy. The way you looked at the camera, too, on the way out was awesome. The way you looked at the jib and you're like, I'm out of here. Uh, it, it's also because Saruti and I have a bet about who's going to be the first co-host of, of High Noon. And I said that you'll be on it just out of necessity because you're there. <laughs> what do you and, mean? Like if somebody calls in sick? Yeah, because you're there in the building. And I don't know. Saruti, you can jump in here. I don't know if we had a disagreement about that. I know Mina's been on. And I, I think they've had a couple other people on. I think on. Dominique's been on, too. Dominique's right? been on. Yeah. Right, right. Like, look, there's a lane of of voices that you are not that has been on High Noon. <laughs> so it was almost like, well, Will will never be on that show. And that's always my point is, like, you should have the Wills on for shows like that if, if you don't, you know, you don't agree with him. I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I would imagine at some point you actually would host it, although Bomani threatened to quit if you ever did which maybe you know Bomani's a very serious guy I I know I tend to be serious so if I'm joking people don't always know it but Bomani has like a very serious delivery where people were so happy like man Bomani even said you know the day that happens is the day I quit or whatever um and I'm like I don't think that would happen but I don't know. This whole thing is funny. Now it's actually built into a perfect thing of you filling in on the show because then people will be like, well, is this real or not? And and the other thing, too, is that once it was you establishing, hey, everybody, this was a joke, nobody did anything with it. No. <laughs> no one. No one was like, hey, by the way, update. Like on these blogs, it's, that's all it's ever done for years. Hey, update 543, update 641. They were like, ah, screw it. Screw Will Kane. <laughs> like, no update. He's not even getting an update on this page. Man, you know, if I want to get deep on any of this stuff, there's so many different ways I can go. But, like, uh, first of all, regarding Bomani's line, and you as well, I've hung out with you. You've hung out with me. This isn't about you or Bomani or me. It's about everybody. There's a little bit of truth in every joke. So, look, it's a little bit of truthfulness, like you point out, that I'm probably not going to be filling in on High Noon. And there's a multitude of reasons for that, including the fact that when I filled in for Bomani's radio show, the whole thing almost got set on fire during the week that Colin Kaepernick knelt. <laughs> um, that was the week you filled in? Man, let me tell you something. Bomani took a vacation. 
Kaepernick <laughs> kneels on Sunday. I fill in on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> now, I remember when Dominique called in and just undressed you, and I didn't know Foxworth well then. I didn't have really any relationship with him, and now I'd consider him somebody you know I, I've gotten to know and I like, and we even keep in touch now that I've been out in L.A., but I was really annoyed with the way he talked to you um, because I felt like it was almost like, I don't know. It, it was it was like, hey, I'm going to come out and just trash this guy. And there was no discourse as two guys that actually work at ESPN that even if you kind of hate each other, I think there's some kind of cordialness to the approach of doing a phoner. And he wasn't even going to go there with you. And, you know, now that you get to know the guy and you get over it. And I think times Bomani has taken swipes at guys where I'm like, whoa. Like he did one with you. What was it a couple years ago when somebody just tweeted at him randomly? Hey, you know you should go on Will Kane, even though you guys probably don't like each other. And he was like, "Hell no," or something. <laughs> and, and you, in your way, that I think you deserve more credit for. Like I may have gotten a little bit more annoyed, and I don't know. I don't really fight with people on Twitter um, because I just think ultimately, like that's what everybody kind of wants. But then there's times I really want to do it, and instead of fighting, you're just like, "So that's a no." <laughs> So. And it's and it's a great way to disarm the whole thing. It's really the way everybody should try to handle this kind of stuff. So, you know, Boken, I mean, he took a swipe at Canell once that I was like, what? And I was kind of bummed out about it because, like, Canell, it was Nick Chubb blew out his knee and Canell was legitimately within the moment. And knowing Danny as well as I do, he was sincerely like, oh, man, you know, holding back whatever. Like, I can't, I'm, I feel so bad for him. And then Bo, like, took a shot at him immediately. And I was like, what is that? And so... Um, knowing kind of the background there, maybe that's why people thought it was real or, again, hoped it was real. So I you guess know, the, the thing one, one of the things you're, go ahead. you're alluding to is um, and by the way, Dominique and I now, I think, have a have a very good relationship. You're right about our initial interaction. It was um, tense. And now <laughs> Listen um, to you. You're, you should be a politician. That was the nicest uh, way. He's actually a guy I would call a friend. I, I truly would. And I and I text Dominique and I invite him on my show to have a goodwill spirited debate. But here's what here's one thing I'm jealous of you. Well, there's a lot of things I'm jealous of you about. Um, but you having done this job for years and years and years, and you doing this pod now, and you going on Bill's pod, you have really mastered the ability to become a human being. And I know that sounds simple and obvious, but the relatability factor is a real um, river to cross. And so for so many people, I'm not a human being. I'm an opinion. I'm a strong opinion. And I'm one that has some political spin on it as well look that's there's a reason that dead spin and awful announcing want to hate me and we all know we're not let's not beat around the bush it has to do with um number one my politics and number two my personality to the extent that i've revealed it and so i wasn't a person to dominique that day i wasn't a person to bomani and, and probably with you as well when you first got to know me i was just an opinion and an opinion that came out strong and 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 unforgiving and 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 that's not a easy thing to like unless you agree with it. And I still struggle with that, man. And I still struggle with like I need to be a better at sharing who I am because, you know, once I get to know you or Dominique and a little bit with Bomani, I think we understand we're human beings and I wish I could um I wish I could share that in an easier way even with the audience in a way that I think you have really really mastered. And and it's difficult, man. I have trouble talking about my kids or my wife or what I did this weekend. And maybe it's because I do put myself out there in this polarizing way that I don't want to drag them into it. But I got to be honest, I hope one day to be at the place where you are. 
Wow. I, well, first of all, I wasn't expecting that, but I, I really appreciate it. But that's one of the things about the job, though, that you learn. And you end up – like, think about it this way. The listener who is making that commitment to listen to you every day, they want to know more about you. They really do. Like, think about the commitment that you've made to different shows and different talk show hosts over the years – and you feel like you get to know them, but you want to know them even more. And I remember in the beginning with Scott and I, we were such sports nerds about it that we never really deviated from that. We we're like, we're going to be the hardcore sports show. And the thing is, we could still be the hardcore sports show in the lineup. But we didn't really become a great show until we both decided, hey, we got to just let's get a segment where there's nothing planned. Let's just talk to each other like two guys and tell me a story. Now, you know, you'd be like, I don't want to talk about my private life and I'm really private as well. But I go, yeah, but, you know, look, you're not the first famous guy to have kids. You know, you're not the first <laughs> famous guy that ever got married. And almost everybody listening to us right now has a family. And do that stuff. And I hear you doing it more and more uh, while you're doing the show. And it really gets back to kind of your first point. Like, think of all the people that you've had an opinion of that are public figures. And because of the jobs that we have, we get access to these guys. And then you spend 10 minutes with them and you go, you know what? I really like this guy now, or I look at him entirely different. It, it's so funny how predictable we are as people that if we actually do get a little bit of FaceTime with that guy, even if we're not saying, hey, we're best friends, you'll always think of him differently, and you'll always feel like there's a little bit more of a relationship, and you have to try to do that with your listeners. But, but here's definitely- what's fascinating. They'll think of you differently, but maybe not in the way that's expected. So in the most relatable thing I could say, I was talking to my agent the other day, <laughs> And we were talking about how who you see on the air in all these different facets is not, no matter how much they share, the guy you get to know in person. And I was talking about a particular actor who I really like, right? I love the characters he plays. I love how he comes off. I might even like some of his political persuasions, but he's an a-hole. <laughs> he's an, when you find out things behind the scenes, he's a jerk. And And then you hear like, I can tell you, this is the kind of gossip that doesn't hurt anybody. Like, one of the guys that most people find very, very distasteful on air is Sean Hannity. Now, it probably comes from a lot of people who already disagree with him. But I think almost universally you hear, he's a great dude. And then you find out these other people that you love are not. So it's funny how this relatability thing works. And it's often the reverse. Like, you think this guy is smart. Eh, he's not that smart. You think this guy's great. Eh, he's kind of a jerk. Wow, the Hannity thing staggered me a bit there because, um, <laughs> you know, dis- despite my political beliefs, like I just, whenever I see somebody just sort of, like I- I've just seen too many clips of him saying something and then the next week it's literally the opposite and you just go, I, I don't know how you do TV that way. Hey, man, I've only met him once or twice, and so I'm not relaying any kind of personal knowledge on who he is. All I can tell you is the gossip behind the scenes, and regardless of political persuasion, everybody's been like, yeah, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. They could be wrong. It's gossip. So, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have I have no idea, so I'm not going to sit here and say, no, I, I think he's a bad guy or anything like that. I just, you know, my frustrations at times with the, the sports television side of it is like, doesn't it matter if the audience can trust you? Don't like, <laughs> yeah. look, we all get stuff wrong, but... Don't you want to know that I believe what I'm saying? Like, isn't that important? Yeah. And then there's executives in TV to be like, eh, not really. I mean, really? You want to keep track of, of whether you're right or wrong? You really think the, I was like, yeah, I would think, I would think audiences would, wouldn't want me to just 
change my mind all the time. Well, definitely. Um, well, definitely. And by the way, one last point on this whole thing of, of relatability and sharing yeah. yourself. Um, you know, like you said, what you and Scott want to do in the beginning, I really, and along with Saruti and Nuno, I think we have said our number one goal is to be a sports show. Um, talk sports because number one, I think a lot of people in this industry have swerved from that path. And number two, I recognize that's why the audience is here. So I'm always asking myself, you know, is this self-indulgent sharing what I'm experiencing, what I'm going through? Do they want to hear more about Tony Romo or Dak Prescott? Um, <laughs> can, I put, can I put a no vote in as, as an avid listener? Hey, you know what? I was listening to you and Simmons the other day, which I've got a pointer maker to on, on something you said about me. All right. And um, I'm, How about I'm, that? You get you got a lot of little airtime. That wasn't just a name drop. We, we kept going. But I we gave you a huge compliment too. I so know. I, right, well, I was heartened to, to hear that you guys get a little stop talking Boston sports uh, feedback. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a couple pods where I was embarrassed, and but the problem is now is that we did we did two hours this week. We talked about the Celtics as a joke for I think thirty seconds. And then people still will tag, oh, here we go, Celtics, Celtics hour. And, <laughs> man, and so man. you, that's just what happens. I will know? do two minutes of Cowboys in a three hour show and go, here we go again, Cowboys. Two minutes. <laughs> two minutes. I think, didn't you at one point, check me if I'm wrong here. Did you within a week rank Ezekiel Elliott, the number one running back, take Dak over Carson Wentz and have Jason Garrett as coach of the year? Well, <laughs> the first two sound very plausible. The third sounds absolutely insane. I would never do that. No, I know. I knew the third part was wrong. So what did I – I jumped you there, though. I thought you wanted to make a point. Oh, you're talking about the Simmons. Oh, here's what I like. This is what I loved, okay? And you're right. I was totally flattered and, and appreciate you guys talking about me. Simmons is talking about taking my side in debate with Saruti. Very uh, defen- uh, tense debate with Saruti on Friday about Kevin Durant being the best player in the league. And you go – Oh, I destructed, I just destroyed it. Yes, I, I well, you turned into Nuno. You're like, <laughs> I always accuse Nuno of being a take doctor. Like, he wants to put me on the couch and see what the real motivations behind this take are, not whether or not you truly believe it. Um, and you, you turned into the take doctor. But what you really reminded me of in this moment was, and I'm not taking a shot here, but you don't have a mother-in-law right now, but, <laughs> you know. No, think, that's not a shot. I'm, I'm, I'm never, Sturdy <laughs> can back me on this. People that think I'm offended by being like, I had one friend email something, you know, not that long ago, and his heckle at me was that I can't find a girl that can stand me. <laughs> and some of the, he doesn't know me as well as my other friends do. And I was like, did I just get made fun of for being single? Is that what just happened there? Is that what we're doing? And guys are like, this is a new, this is new territory here. So by the way, I'm going too long here, but I'm never offended by that ever. So don't worry about it. I know you're not. Um, but you like a typical mother-in-law, you did that thing where you kind of, you squint at them and you see through them, you know? What do you Well, because the point, here? the point that Simmons was referencing, and it was a great point by you in your argument that was pro Durant, is that he has been somebody who can be the number one, but assimilated with other stars, which other people can't do. And or have like, shown they can do. Yeah, it was like, wow, that's actually an amazing point. And then it turned into me going, yes, but it's also because he's on this anti LeBron kick. And it's also because Harden is Houston, he's a Dallas guy, and it's because Kellerman, when Kellerman, when Kellerman went, and I know I keep bringing this up, but the thing is, is these kinds of takes should be repeatedly brought up when they're this bad. 
But Kellerman, when he was doing his whole tour about, and that's the thing is, you get to do a media tour, like, hey, you hear about this Kellerman guy? He has Duran out of his top five. <laughs> and I watched a couple of them, and then he went as far as to say, I could sit here and maybe argue he's out of the top ten. Oh. <laughs> you just go, okay. Uh, so then I was like, I've, it's a bit of a pro Will Kane Durant thing, anti Kellerman. Durant it's thing. a great take, Doctor. It's a great. I, I, it's a great. Uh, sit me on the couch and find my real motivations here. It's it's good. And by the way, you know what's funny? I'm not even going to call you wrong on all of that. I think there's because well, like, I know I'm not wrong. <laughs> no, I genuinely believe Durant is the best player, and I think my argument is bulletproof on a similar. That part, okay, but that part. If you want to tell me Durant's the best right now, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I know what Harden's numbers are. I know that Giannis doesn't have the help that he does, and all that kind of stuff. But if we, like sometimes we make this too complicated. And then I'll always think, okay, if you had the next three years, who are you taking? Who are you taking? Next three. Three's a good number because it's not Three's a really hard. good number because it kind of tells you right now who's the best. Because mm-hmm. like, if you're asking me who I'm building a team around for the long term, I'm taking Giannis. That's who I want. But three years? Mm, now I'm back to KD because we're playing in the now. I'm so proud you didn't say Doncic. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were going to get some. So do you know every now and then when I'm in the car, I'll text Saruti. I don't know. Saruti, jump in here. It's happened, what, six times maybe since I've moved out here. And I do listen a lot, you know, because you're out in the car here. But when you were doing another – like you were doing this anti-LeBron thing and some of it's working out for you, by the way. I, I still think it's a, a short sample size so we can get to that. But you've you've taken on this anti-LeBron position and then you started crediting, crediting Dwayne Wade where it was almost like if it weren't for Wade, LeBron would be looked at entirely differently. And I'm thinking – yeah, Wade also couldn't get out of the first round four straight years until LeBron showed up. It's great. And it then, works against both of them. Right. <laughs> but then you did the where is Dirk all time, and then you started knocking Wade. So then I sent right. to Saruti. So Saruti, yeah. I, that's yeah. when I texted you the hotline. I was like, wait a minute. So Dwayne's, Wade's not good now after he was good enough? Yeah, you basically were like, I, I guarantee he doesn't bring up that point. And I was like, yeah, he's not going to. But, but I was against, I was against Will on that as well, because you had him, what, 13? Dirk is the best player, 13th best player ever. And just to illustrate that I'm not and in transit. I said there were I, dozens I, of players better than him. It, that, that was And ridiculous. I got to 24. Dozens is a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was the point of contention. He pluralized dozen. He said dozens. Well, I got to 24, if we're being honest. <laughs> Wait a minute, so that's, you almost Kellerman Dirk? Yeah, he did. He hates Dirk. Well, I, I still think I'm right. I mean, you, you, you gave me, didn't you give me crap for Wade? I here's a, to, to prove that I'm not intransigent. You talked me into like five or six guys, and I got Dirk down to about eighteen or nineteen. Great word. But, but um, Wade is not one of them. I did not let Wade get ahead of Dirk all time. I I just I disagree. <laughs> you get Bennett Salvatore with Wade. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's a very good line there. Do you feel like Saruti is still? Too influenced by me. Oh my really, gosh! Are you looking at me with a full head of hair through the glass as your producer, dude? Let me. What Saruti sometimes doesn't realize, and this is good because this is therapy that Saruti and I haven't even talked about, is that I follow you on Twitter too. <laughs> <laughs> so we come into a show meeting, and Saruti will say something. I'm like, "Yeah, I read Rosillo's Twitter feed as well." <laughs> oh, geez, okay. Okay. Yeah, but that's you don't even know the half of it. That's me bored at home calling him, hoping he's going to answer. That's true. It's not always tweets. Right. It's, sometimes yeah. it's phone conversations. Hey, you yeah. got 30 minutes? Well, I did get married, <laughs> Rosillo, but yeah, what do you got? I missed one last night. That's my bad. No, no, that was actually important. It's that was, flattering that was, to you, man. It's flattering. He is very – He, I, I'm not saying this – He. 
he is influenced by you. I think that's fair, and that's not that's not a bad thing. I, I, I don't. I wouldn't even disagree with that. But I do think, even when I started, like what five years ago, working on SCP and Rosillo, I, I think Ryan and I have always thought the same way. Like I don't think the same way as you all the time. No, will. and I'm and I think that's actually a good thing, though. No, I sometimes I worry about on the show is that we think too much alike, and I thought that was the same thing with Ryan. That's kind of why we need Nuno, right? Because Nuno's the, always the one that's going to tell us why we're wrong. Well, you know in particular that I like that. Like, I want people around me that will will call me to the mat, and I appreciate that in you. But yeah, you know. Uh, you know the best thing, Ryan, is some of the most tense conversations Serena and I have are pre-show, in the meeting. And that's when it's, oh, it's, am I really debating you or am I debating Rusillo right now? It's not always Ryan, but sometimes, yes. I know, and some people listening to this, and I think there's people in the department that would be like, oh, you know, he just, Rosillo loves Saruti, and he loves Rosillo back, and that's actually not great. Like, you need you need guys challenging each other. I've also worked with people that don't understand anything I'm doing, and I couldn't do that again. So I was I was fine if there was criti- uh, critiques of, of Saruti and I being too aligned. So I actually do want to ask you this, though, because, you know, it's a year now. It's it's over a year for you doing this, and how how has it gone based on what your expectations were for having your own show? Um, it's gone it's gone really well. Um, I think first of all, you have to ask yourself, can I do this? I mean, you can have all the confidence in the world, and I and I do in theory. Can I do three hours a day, five days a week? You know, four weeks a month. Can I do that? And you can tell yourself you can, and then you got to get in the water and start treading or swimming. And I know, I know with all confidence, I can do this. And I've heard you, I've heard Scott talk about this. I've heard many people have done solo radio or any kind of radio talk about, okay, you did a great show today. Tuesday is tomorrow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> start again. What do you got? We've been doing this for a year. I'm, I'm happy with, uh, the feedback internally. I'm happy with a lot of the ratings metrics that we've been able to achieve. I'm happy with, uh, the show growth, I am far, far, far from happy that we are a finished product. This is not yet the show that I want it to be. And I, I and what do you know what I've become realistic about? And you probably could have told me this again, in theory, it's going to take actually years. It's going to take a long time to where you're like, I'm doing the show that I really want to be doing. It's like checking all the boxes of what I think is the perfect show for me. Years is definitely the right answer. And you can't, it's this weird thing where you have to think of it as, hey, you know what? It's going to take years, so let's not worry about it. But at the same time, you can't go, oh, my God, this is going to take years. But I think for what you needed to be, and this almost ends up coming out like I'm looking for some compliment, and I'm not, but you you are going to be so much further along in the next three years than you would have ever been had I stayed as your co-host because I have a way I want to do a show. And... Some people could argue that I'm not super malleable on how I want to do something. And I would argue that the track record and the way I've done things, there's, it's worked. Um, but I think for you and all the stuff that you're going to do, that this, this just makes it, you know, there were going to be days with me where you're going to be like, oh, you know, I kind of, I kind of want to do this. And I may have said, ah, I don't really want to do that. And because it had been my slot for 10 years or, you know, but I'm however, like KD, I would have assimilated. You would have KD'd it? Yeah. No, I man. would have been like old LeBron, though. <laughs> like, we trade this guy? Like, do we know? Do we know anything else that's going on? So, no, I just, I'm really proud of you, man. And I'm really, 
I, I'm in the car and, you know, I'll, I'll be listening and I go, you know, for him having, look, I didn't have to do it solo as long. Like my thing was weird because I would do solo some with Scott and then be gone and I never really got in a groove and I'd be in my own head about it. But the best thing you can do for anybody that wants to be on air, and I, I say this to everybody, is that once you kind of go, hey, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I may, may not be where I want to be, but I'm bleeping good and whatever. Like, once I got to that, it was it was the best. Once I just relaxed and went, hey, I'm good. Like, who cares? I'm not going to worry about this anymore. I'm going to stop evaluating myself for the next 45 minutes on the ride home because I know I'm <laughs> going to be good at this and, you know, relax. And how long did that take? It took me way too long. Maybe year <laughs> seven at ESPN. Yeah, it took me. I, that's why I admire some of the guys that are just like, screw it. I'm here. Like, you guys gave me a deal. You paid me for a reason. So get out of my way. You know, um, you I and I, that at all. I really believe this. Um, you and I would have done a great show together. It would have been really good. Um, and I know that in the small sample size we had together. And, um, and there's a lot of reasons I could go into that probably would bore the listener about what it takes to actually have a co-host and what I think chemistry is all about. I've done so many shows with so many different people from CNN to the blaze to this place that I know. And I think you can know pretty quickly when you got something that's going to work day in and day out. And I think that we did. And it would have been a really good show. Um, I am excited and have been to try this on, to do this solo thing. And I do like it. I do. And it, it's, it's like putting, um, you know, rocket boosters on your learning curve. You just have to get better so fast and find out who you are and how you say things and get over. This sounds crazy, but get over your own ego because I think a lot of people that do this. And again, you've done this longer than me, so you can confirm or deny it. They think hit the on button on the mic and let me go equals ratings and success and i've spent enough time and appreciation listening to people like howard stern and others who you'd think howard stern's just a radio genius who just talks man go listen to his sit-down interview with david letterman on his netflix interview show he talks about i knew exactly when the commercial break was coming when the ratings period was when to say certain things when to tease an audience over and i'm still learning that stuff ryan like Srudi and i talk about like when to shift subjects sometimes and how to and how to try to hold somebody's attention over a commercial break it, you got it all be real and natural, but also understand that you're doing a job. And that's the stuff that I'm really still learning. That stuff's really hard. And cause I think there's some people that just never get it where you have to have this internal clock in your head where you go, you know what? This is dead. This is dead. Move on. Or when you're interviewing somebody and this is something you can do, especially when you're starting up, you can be too gracious as a host with a guest. Mm -hmm. But if the guest isn't giving you what you want and it's not giving really, that means the audience isn't getting what it wants. You know, change it. You know, Dan Patrick is, I think, you know, over the course of time with sports radio interviewing, he's always been the best. And you want to know why? I think a part of it has to do with, you know, when he was, when he was at ESPN and, and now everything he's done since then, he's such a big star that the athlete and the guest would come on being like, I'm not on with this, you know, I'm not doing a phoner with Rosillo or, you know, whatever. But, you know, when I'm getting started and all that kind of stuff, I'd like to think it's changed a little bit over the last few years, but, he could interrupt him. <laughs> he would just interrupt the answer. Mm -hmm. Like, if this isn't mm -hmm. going where I want it to go, I'm just going to interrupt you and then chop you and follow up with something that, that gets me to the point. And, you know, when you're new at it, you feel like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing. I can't interrupt the guest. But you have to keep thinking about the audience. Like, the technical stuff and the commercials coming up and teasing these things right and all these different stuff. Like, I know management and how excited they would get about teases. And sometimes I'd be like, do you care what I said for the eight minutes or do you just care about the 10-second tease? Like, what's more important? And sometimes I'd be like, I think you guys care about the teases more than the freaking eight minutes. But um, 
you got to you just have to look i mean it's it's really simple you have to just keep doing it and if you listen to the shows you're doing now in 2 years you're going to want to throw up right. so have fun today on the show <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm not done here i'm not done so okay. I, I didn't Let's mean to talking. say goodbye that way no. so i do think in the aftermath Who of everything in la what's that Who you dating in la no one. Okay. No one. Uh, we're just talking here. I, I haven't <laughs> talked to you in a while. I want to know. How's LA going? All I ever hear you do is hanging out with Simmons and big timers. I just want to know. <laughs> I only hang out with Simmons a few hours a week. So there's, there's no, we're not running in the same social circles. Although I did go to one cool guy party that we did already talk about, I think on the podcast. Suri, did I tell the, the story on the podcast or did I say that off the air where Bob Saget was convinced that we'd hung out before? I was thinking that you hung out with the Game of Thrones guys, right? I want to know yeah. all of these things. Did we tell that before? I forget. I don't know. It was the same party. Jimmy Kimmel's production company had a party, and a guy um, from Bad Robot invited me, and then I brought uh, a friend. And then it was funny, because after the fact, like Simmons was like, why didn't you tell me you were going to that? I would have gone. And I, I thought, well, because we're not, we don't hang out that way. I didn't, I'd know it was up. But yeah, I actually, you know, being out here, you try to do the, okay, that guy, I know his deal. But the party was all pretty much celebrities and it was a really really great party it was actually sick it was very it small. wasn't the celebrity party where everybody's looking over their shoulder over your shoulder seeing who's well better. no that that still that still happens no oh. matter what you do it's just you'll be sitting there talking to somebody and they're waiting to see if there's somebody more famous that they can connect with there john ham was there that was pretty cool yeah did did talk to him for a bit but i was with somebody that he knew so it was like an easier intro but yeah bob saget kept saying like he was convinced that we'd hung out and i'm like i definitely didn't hang out with you so, I don't know. And then he was kind of like, yeah, we did. I was like, all right. I hear hanging out with Bob Saget can be fun. Yeah, but the Game of Thrones guys were there, and, you know, you just don't want to sit there and be like, so, huh? what's going on with the White Walkers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Crazy <laughs> going on up there in the woods. <laughs> I forgot I can't swear on this podcast. John, are you the king that was promised? <laughs> be like, why'd you have to kill, what the hell's her name, Sarudi? Agret? Oh, Egret? Egret, Egret. Yeah. Hey, am I the only one that thinks the Red Queen's really hot? Like, the Red no. Queen, you do or you don't? She definitely is. Oh, my gosh. I think she might be number one. I don't want, I think well, she's number way one. above Khaleesi. Number one's high. Number one is a bit aggressive. Give me yeah. somebody higher. Can we rank the hotness of girls in Game of Thrones in 2019? Yeah. Deadspin's already in a tough week. Yeah, I was going to say. I don't, I don't know. I would tell you this, though, about the Fire Demon Queen, that once we saw her take off the necklace... And she was a hundred and a million. Mm-hmm. It kind of it kind of ruined it for me. Okay, now let's be real. Are we gonna have a real pot, or is this gonna be 2019 as well? If that were real life, no, oh, no, I didn't want to answer this. <laughs> Don't even. And the Red Queen revealed herself, and then she put it back on. You'd go, nah. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Okay, look, in a castle, in you know, whatever time period we're talking about, and these are my options. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to think about it. But, I mean, present day, if I were, you know, at Shellbacks and somebody's like, hey, she's actually like 400, <laughs> I would go, I would I would say, well, I can You'd say, hopefully cool. I'll, I'll meet someone else that's not 400 when she takes her necklace off. <laughs> I want to do an hour on this today, Saruti. <laughs> I don't think it would bother me at all, but. <laughs> I actually don't think we can get in trouble for this one because they're all mythical creatures. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> not even real. Right, these aren't even these aren't even real people. I think her name's Melisandre, by the way. Yeah, Melisandre. She's dated, or excuse me, she's married to somebody who's actually like really famous. The actress is. Yeah, no, no, the queen. <laughs> uh, yeah, the actual actress, Saruti. Can we get yeah, IT on, on that? Looking up right now. 
What did you, besides uh, Game of Thrones, what did you want to ask me about? Just your day to day. Like, how is, do you, do you feel like more people like you or hate you? <laughs> you mean in the it, building? In the building? Yes. Um, I think like me. I think. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, here's the thing. Um, I, it's funny you bring this up because I had a meeting with PR this morning. <laughs> no way. Wait a minute. Related to the practical joke? Uh, and the Antonio Brown thing from a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. That's um, all right, though. And, well, I called the meeting. <laughs> I'm the one that asked for the meeting. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to explain something. I, I don't, I, 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 this would be, a, it'd be a lie if I said I don't care about being liked. But it's not my highest priority. It's, it's not even probably in my top five. Um, but I do, I would appreciate being understood. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like you, you can tell That's me. That's such a great way to phrase it. <laughs> I you, would appreciate to be better understood. Go you ahead. can tell me that I'm wrong. No problem. You can even tell me my personality sucks. <laughs> you can even tell me you don't like me. But if you start like actively, you know, either twisting me or not trying to understand what I'm saying or who I am, that's when I get, that's when I get a little perturbed. I do think as I walk around the building, when it comes to a lot of the front facing talent and then some of the producers behind the scenes, I do think they understand me and it doesn't mean they have to agree with me. And I can't tell you like we all have beers or anything. But I think they understand me, and what that means is they don't assume the worst of me at every occasion. Do you know what I mean? Not every time they disagree with me does it have to mean that I'm a moron or that I'm racist or that I'm immoral in some way, that I might actually just have a disagreement with you. That's what I always think is interesting about you know either explaining you to somebody and not to you know get your ego too out of whack. It's not like it happens every day. But like, hey, Ryan, nice to meet you. Explain Will Kane to me. But – can can someone be friends with someone who they absolutely hate their political opinions? And it feels impossible now. Mm-hmm. Like I have a couple friends, but I've known these guys over twenty years. Where like one of my friends was arguing, no one in the country should make over fifty thousand dollars a year. I was like, well, have fun with your new country. <laughs> You know, and I go, you know, by the way, I was like, all the money's just moving around in a big circle. So you want the people that have it, you want them to have more. He's like, no, it should just be this whole, you know, societally, you know, everyone's on this. I was like, so you want, you're a communist. And he was like, no, you know, this whole thing. And I just went, okay, well, no matter what it was, like, I still was playing Sega hockey with this guy on his futon in 1994. And so even though I cannot stand any of opinions, any of the opinions he has politically, he's still my friend. And well, that's because when you and him were playing Sega hockey, your political differences and even the the infancy of those things, whatever they were, yeah, we didn't even have them. Yeah, right? well, but even if you did, whatever those little tinglings were, they weren't that important to you. They weren't. They didn't define you. And so, do I think you can be friends in 2019 in the in your 30s and 40s with people who have different political persuasions? 100. percent The only question is, is that how you define yourself? Is that the most important thing to you, Saruti? You're right. You and I, I don't want to get into your, but like, we, we are not as far apart as we might sometimes seem. But Nuno and I probably are, right? Like, Nuno and I have big philosophical disagreements. Mm-hmm. And sure. I really like him. Really like him. It's because it's not the most important thing about him to me, nor about myself. Like, I don't go home at night and go, whew, 
Another good day of being a conservative. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, but you always talk about this too. Like, you know, you can sit there and be in your own echo chamber and listen to all the same people that agree with you and want and, and like you, or you can, one of the things I really respect about you is you want people like Nuno around you to tell you when you're wrong, to give you a different perspective, just to check you every once in a while. But not just that, we talk about other things. And Ryan, again, you and I are on the same page 100%, but that's not the only thing we've ever talked about or, or had similarities on in life. And so I just think the place where people can't be friends with everybody, they disagree with is when that's like how they define themselves in some kind of 80 percent capacity you know what i mean yeah i mean what i worry about for you sometimes because if if you're thinking as a producer and like this happened to me and i've mentioned this before where it was kind of like you know they were having that red sox thing where ownership wanted to change yaki way because of the history of racism with the ownership of the red sox and they're like oh let's get ryan on and see if he argues to keep it yaki way and i went out there was like look I, i don't care what the hell you named the street but what does it really mean? And ultimately, I did this kind of thing. Where I'm like, why is Boston always the city that's the worst? And before anybody listening to this goes, oh, you know, look at your history. I'm like, well, where, where are we doing racial inequality history? Does it start in 1970? <laughs> like, right. is, that, is that how we're doing this? Because that seems ridiculous. And that's sometimes where I feel like I'm defensive of Boston, not because I'm, I'm Captain 617, but because I think some of the arguments against it are directed right at that city and ignoring other cities' histories. So, um, and there's there's other factors too, so I, I'm, I'm kind of glossing over this whole thing a little bit, but I worry that they'll be like, hey, let's see if Will Kane thinks this is racist. Okay, he doesn't think it. Let's, all right, great, we get him on. And so sometimes I worry for you when we're talking about race and whether or not that bleeds into politics or not, which it sort of does and doesn't always have to. That I'll be defined you, that way. Yeah, but if you if you ever feel like, you know, sometimes we're like, hey, Will, it can't always not be racist, right? Yeah, no, and I've heard you, you talk about that. Because I listen right? to you. I listen to you. And, and I've heard you talk about that. And, and you know what? I'm open to that criticism. Like, I totally am. And, and Nuno has brought that up to me as well. Like, Will, it can't always. And, and But here's my only response. And I think, didn't we get into this on air one time, Srudy? The only ones we ever talk about are like close calls. Exactly. Like, yeah. We don't, yeah. we, we, you know, <laughs> I went good. on, That's and I went good. on air. And um, do you remember a couple weeks ago when the University of Mississippi Ole Miss uh, basketball players knelt during the national anthem and it was a response to, I think, a KKK revitalization rally or something like that that, that that marched onto campus? And I said, yeah, this is awful. And I understand exactly what these kids are getting uh, protesting. But that doesn't make any news. It's only when I say it's not. You know what I mean? And, and granted, I understand. Because they're close calls, most of the time, 90% of the time, I'm saying, I don't see it. I think there are other explanations for what's going on here besides racism. But I, I and so I understand what you're saying that, you know, I'm going to be the guy who's always, you know, it's never racist. Will, why is that? Yeah, that's, that's just me as a friend. Yeah, no, no, than, no. Than a, than a programming guy. Cause, you know, getting back to the original point of, you know, can you ever be friends with somebody that you just think sees the world entirely different than you? Well, if you don't know them, then you're never going to be friends with them. You you won't want to know them. Mm-hmm. I consider Dan Levitard a friend. Sometimes I love their show. Other times I don't. That's kind of the point of their show. That's what they'll say. And Dan gets called this race baiter all the time. And sometimes on race issues, I'm like, ah, oh, man. But then there'll be times, and this is what I love about Dan, is he just said something really simple one time when it was the Lamar Jackson stuff. Now, it drove me crazy, the Lamar Jackson debate, because I watched him all through college and went, you know what? There's major accuracy issues here. I'm not sure if he's worth the first first round or all this stuff. But like when Polian says it, oh, he should go to wide receiver, which is a it's a much bigger stretch. Then it turns into a race topic this whole time. And Dan said, you know, I just wonder if 
it's not even like a nasty racism if it's just sort of a bias that you have where you're just used to seeing a quarterback look a certain way. And then I started thinking about that. I go, yeah, man, it's just kind of like Ricky Rubio when he was coming out. They go, how many non-athletic white point guards and a Euro come over here and dominate? So why is this guy going to go top five? And whenever you see this this white basketball player and you go, oh, well, you know, I'm not sure if he's really athletic enough. Like we just kind of do some of this stuff and it may not even – like maybe simply like even having those thoughts are evil. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think that it's not coming from anything remotely evil, just a way that we're conditioned when it's talking specifically, specifically about, hey, what do you think about this quarterback or what do you think about this guy who's trying to play in the NBA? And that's the kind of stuff where even if I'm in the car and I listen to Dan, I'm, I'm disagreeing and I'm out loud in the car being like, no, what are you talking about? Then it can come back around and I go, oh man, Dan made me think about something that I hadn't really thought of before. And I hope people do that when they listen to you. I'm, I'm just not sure. Right. I'm just, I'm just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if people are open-minded enough anymore. Well, um, let me see if I can make two or three points in response to that. One, um, I actually believe everybody has prejudices. I mean, that sounds obvious and also something that's hard for each individual to reconcile. And so everybody listening and everybody talking on this podcast, we all have prejudices of every type of every persuasion. And then it's, Acknowledging that and asking ourselves how much is that, as you just laid out, playing a role in my opinion. Because I acknowledge that doesn't mean I think it's the overriding factor in everything. You know what I mean? It's not the determinant factor in everybody's opinion or certainly the outcome of situations. Um, I hope that I've developed an audience who knows they can push back on me and hears things I say and is open to telling me I'm wrong. And I'll tell you this. I'm in on the race conversation. And maybe – People that really hate me about it should wonder why. Is it because I'm doing this conversation because I want to cultivate a bunch of, you know, white supremacists? And they, I mean, that's not actually a huge market for me, you know. Like, but <laughs> that's actually it, not we we in the focus group. That was not our group. right. Or is it because I'm actually genuinely curious about that topic? And again, this is back to the relatability in, the, in my life that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use as a shield or a tool. But like a lot of my life has been tailored to being around people that are different than me. And people who believe differently than me on a daily basis. And I want that. And I think there is some audience, and I can only judge this by the calls and that kind of thing. And we seems like we have a fairly big African-American audience who will call in and tell me, Will, you're so wrong, X, Y, Z. And I love that. I hope it's true. I hope it's not just a vocal minority of my audience. I hope there are people of every type every belief system who listened to my show knowing, oh, Will's going to say some stuff and it may make me mad, but I can give it back to him. So as we close this up here, right after, and I, I dealt with it, man, you know, when it, I started with Scott and nobody knew who I was, it was, hey, shut up, let Scott talk. And then I told Danny when Scott left, I go, no matter what you do, you're going to get killed because you're not Scott. And it's just what's going to happen. And that's what happened. And then Danny got killed because he was Danny. Um, that was supposed to be a joke, but <laughs> I left. <laughs> <laughs> Are you getting more? Hey, I hate you. Where's your solo? Or actually, I mean, really, you're in Bamani slot. Steven is in mine. Never understood this. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? I mean, that's that. That one's kind of unfair for you to get crushed for me when you're not even. You didn't. It's not like you took over my show. But I see because I'll get tagged on some of it. I'll see a little bit more of hated you at first. But now I'm starting to get it. I, are you getting more of that? I'd imagine you're getting a lot more of that. I got to do, I, I got to build my own thing. 
right? I got to build yeah. my own audience, and right. I do think that's happening. And um, I, I, look, this is why we do podcasts, and this is where I got to get. You got to be real, and you got to be vulnerable. You and I had a phone conversation about, mm, let's go three months ago. I don't remember exactly. Gosh, it could have been a year ago now. I don't even remember. But I said to you, the 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 criticism that bothers me the most is the Rosillo feed criticism. It is your audience that hates me. <laughs> and, there, right. and, and you know, I have to ask myself, why does that one bother me the most? And I think the answer is because for a couple reasons. One, we shared the airwaves for a few months together. Uh, two, we're not as different and far apart, I think, as some of those haters might want to believe. But three, I'm still – and here's, here's the – I'm still not doing the radio that I want to end up doing. You see what I mean? And so when they say – look – we can all pretend like Twitter crap doesn't resonate, and I think I'm actually pretty good about not letting it hit home as hard. But I, somebody tweeted you the other day because you did that bonus Will Kane tweet, which thank you. Um, I meant it. I was in the car and <laughs> I was stuck in traffic, and and you were like, "Hey, we're we're coming up another thirty minutes," and I was like, "Actually, great. This is terrific." And so somebody goes, you know, amidst the 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 waterfall of f will Kane, <laughs> you know somebody goes at least you were relatable Rosillo. and i'm like you know what uh, though yeah but you know what dude the dude the the guy isn't 100 wrong and that's what what bothers me i don't even know why i'm sharing that because you asked me am i getting more of it i'm getting it because i'm building my own audience i think i don't know how much bleed over there is from your audience i don't know how much bleed over there is from bomani's because by the way i bet the i bet it's not a hundred percent um rejection rate from bomani's audience i don't think it is could be 80 but <laughs> it's not 100 um i think that's what you ended up saying because i mean you're right like that is a like back to the point like in a way you're getting dumped on for me when you shouldn't be yeah i didn't really take your no, time slot <laughs> right there's no there's no correlation other than you know we did the two shows or two months of shows no no we did months we did the whole fall we did the three yeah. days a week through the fall and then you know you and i were there we've been over all this stuff so i don't keep going over it all but yeah you know i was like yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know i was like i won't burn you though like you'll know where i'm where i'm headed or if i'm staying like right. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna let you, it be a surprise to you uh which i i hope i did um, no we're, i mean and i said the same thing to you i said hey man i'm i want you to know that my plan a is rosillo and kane you know if this goes solo afterwards that's a plan b I, I don't want this i'm not gunning for this when i say i don't want this i don't want it in lieu of what was going to happen so you and i were good we had open conversations i'd like to think on both sides of this right yeah I mean, no we, we were fine we were fine There's, okay. there was no there was no after the fact like wait a minute what <laughs> you know because i there's stuff that has happened where i'm like wait a minute that that's what somebody was trying to angle at like behind my back i'm like what what is that you know i've said this several times to Saruti. i said i think i'm turning into Rosillo more like your cynicism on that kind of thing. I heard that segment. I heard that segment. It's real. Yep. And it's, yeah. it's well earned, man. It's well earned. And I'm getting there. And I, and I think I'm becoming more of a realist about things and, and people and certainly people in this business. I'm not sure it's healthy for me, but it's, I no, it sucks. It sucks, man. Everything I read or every quote, I'll just go, okay, I wonder how this is wrong. But also, you'll, do, you'll also do like, what's the angle? What's this guy's angle? Sure. Do you know what I mean? And I don't do that enough. Um, and because I because I got sick of buying in, I got sick of believing everybody because I just felt like I was getting not burned. Like it wasn't personal. It wouldn't bum me out the rest of the day. But you didn't want to be an idiot on the air. So as soon as something would happen, I mean, I remember with the Favre retirement, I forget which one, but Scott and I were on the <laughs> air, and I I just go, "You guys are idiots." I was like, "This guy's coming back." 
And I was like, no way. What are you talking about? We're doing all these. Like, look, if you're running Sports Center, you have to do the retirement B-roll package. <laughs> They're running it for a week. And then, you know, he starts slinging the old hickory. And uh, he comes back. He comes back. Before we say goodbye, five questions with Will Kane. The first one is, I know you rank Ezekiel Elliott the number one running back. But if you could have any running back the next five years, would you take Ezekiel Elliott over Saquon Barkley? Yes. I would. That's good. That's good. Who do you hate more, Jason Garrett or LeBron James? Jason Garrett. Who's the guy that shows up on the first take desk where you go, I got to be tightened up today? Mm. Mm. Well, it's the two regulars, honestly. It's the two regulars. They have the most confidence, most most intelligence. Doesn't mean they're going to be right, but I'm going to have to be ready to, to, to go, to rebut, to go two, three times. You know what I mean? Okay, so you're just Stephen A. and Max. Yeah. Who who do you go up against? You're like, this guy has no chance. That's not. Rosillo. <laughs> <laughs> How close are you to not having to go to Bristol any days a week? Um, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. It's but a touchy I'm, question, too, because Bubba gets mad at Bubba. Bubba's so, so mad at this. Um, I'm Why? Because he thinks that's the ultimate game plan. He thinks that's my motive in the end. And it's not. I want to be here. It's a better show when I'm here. And I recognize that. And I want to do a good show. It is a better show, but man, <laughs> not many hosts, not many hosts do that. Like, wait a minute, what? I got to drive back up two I, hours? I'm here to win. All right. That's that's what I love about it. Hey, so 3 to 6 Eastern, Will Kane Show, ESPN Radio, and they can follow you on Twitter and download the podcast at? Will Kane. At Will Kane. All right. That's perfect. First take, how many days a week? Mm, sometimes five, sometimes two. Who knows? It wasn't today. Which meant I got more Rosillo time. Thanks a lot, man. Thank I you. really appreciate it. I'm really happy for it. Thanks, bud. I know probably more people are waiting for the Frank recap, and we will do that shortly. But first, I want to talk about Burrow. It's furniture. The Rosillo Show podcast is presented by Burrow because Burrow is rethinking how people shop for and live with their furniture by making high-quality sofas that are customized online, ship for free in one week, and set up in minutes. It's scratch-resistant, stain-resistant, so you can live worry-free, USB chargers, so you never have to get up from the couch. You can assemble them in different shapes. It grows with you. You can make the couch bigger. I'm telling you, if you go on the website, and we're going to give you that website here in a second, and if you like the podcast, you like to keep these things going, yes, I'm giving you the hard sell here, but I have one of the couches, and it's really cool picking out all the different options that you have online. It's actually a fun thing. If you have a girlfriend say, hey, you want to shop for a sofa today? Boom, there you go. If you don't, maybe you need a sofa. Fabric is also free of harmful chemicals, and a frame made from sustainably sourced hardwood. The design is this, 17 inches off the ground because that's the average height from the bottom of a person's foot to the back of their knee. You can customize every detail, low armrest, stylish high armrest. It's got pillows and a throw line that complement the sofa. Uh, you can pick your style, mix and match, mid-century, Ceruti, Bohemian. Actually, Ceruti's more Bohemian, industrial or rustic. Burl was recently named one of the best inventions of 2018 by Time Magazine, and you can get $75 off your award-winning Burrow sofa by visiting burrow.com slash Rusillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. That's Burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash Rusillo to get $75 off your order. Thanks again to Burrow for supporting the show. Okay, deep breath here, Saruti. We ready? Frank. Frank. Our boy, Frank. Man, did people hate that guy. Yeah. Now he was texting me afterwards too because he was just getting all sorts of hate. I mean, he was reading the comments to your to your tweet, and his buddies were giving him crap. 
Um, but I told him, I was like, dude, that's what the internet does. I mean, a lot of people are questioning sort of. Right. Here, the, let's, yeah, let's the, start the at the events. beginning of this. If you missed it, Frank called us in, uh, he called us from Arkansas, right? Northeast or Northwest. You know what? It's not superb. I don't think anyone's going to go, wait a minute. You guys said Northeast and it was Northwest. I think it's Northwest now, but, um, addicted to online dating, all the apps, right? Tinder, Bumble, Hinge. I can't believe I remembered all three. Nice. Maybe I'm on all of them. And he said he had gone out on, what, like 600-something dates in two-plus years? But then... Yeah, essentially he averaged, like, what, six dates a week? Yeah, but then he threw the zinger at us of, like, that doesn't count just meetups. And that's, like, 800. But then I said, well, do you... Can you... I was like, are you one of those guys who can never be by themselves? I have a couple friends like that. And a couple girls I know that way. Like, literally couldn't go do anything by themselves. And he's like, no, I go out to eat by myself all the time. So then people started cranking the numbers because the analytics are big now. And people just think they don't like him and they think he's a liar. And they didn't add up. So go ahead. I, I cut you off a little. I just want to make sure I set that whole thing up. No, I mean, listen, all I have to add is that he afterwards he kind of realized that he was going to look like, you know, he wasn't going to look great in this situation, but he stands by it. Says that he knows that people are, are going to tell him he's lying, but that this is not, this is why would he lie about this? This is his life. This is what he does. This is why he reached out to you first for life advice in the first place. So, but I mean, people are basically saying that I mean, in order for him to go out to eat by himself re- semi regularly and also go on all the dates that he was saying that like there's not enough there's not enough days in the week for him to actually do these things. Yeah, and it would be more than twenty five grand. I mean, I did some calculations there where it was like sixty three dollars a girl. Um, yeah. I mean, he said he, I mean, he did kind of well, right? He said he did well. He did all right. No, I'm not, I'm not, like, he he seems like he's, but what I kind of couldn't, when I got done with it, because I was afraid, you know, I'm always worried about, are people going to get this? Are they going to like it? What was, this is unprecedented. People loved the segment and they hated him. Exactly. Yep. That's, I don't know that it's ever happened before. So. It kind of gets back to my point is I've, I've sat thinking about this a little bit. Not a ton. I'm not a loser. Did he want any advice? I think yes, because I think him reaching out to you in the first place meant he didn't want this type of type of lifestyle to keep up. Now, no one's going to pity him for going out on all these dates and meeting all these girls, but... At some point, that has to get old, and I think that he didn't really do a j- good job of expressing how unhappy he was necessarily, but I think deep down, he may have been sort of unhappy about his situation. Now, he said that he didn't necessarily want to rush into being married. He had buddies that did that, and blah, 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 and I totally understand that, but that doesn't mean that you don't want that for yourself at some point. I completely understand that part of it. You start going, hey, everybody's married, but if I, you know, it's a bummer when you sit there. Like, I'll have, although most of my friends are pretty happily married, it's pretty incredible. But, yes, I have run into people that I know that are like, oh, you're still not married? I'm like, nope. And they go, oh, don't ever get married. I'm like, oh, you know, that seems a little ridiculous. So he's going through that. But at 29, again, I don't think people understand how young 29 is. When you're 29 and you're 30, you're like, oh, I feel like I'm getting old. I feel like I'm getting old. And then when you turn 40, you're going to go, oh, my God, 30 was so young. So you should try to think that way as a 30-year-old. I'm not talking about, like, going out four nights a week still in 50-cent drafts, but what I'm saying is don't start getting in your head. Don't start convincing yourself you're old when you're not because that's a complete waste of time and you'll regret it as you get older and you actually are older. I mean, when I meet guys now, I was out to this big fancy dinner making moves, L.A. stuff, 
And yeah, and both guys are like, I can't believe how young you are and everything you've done. And, you know, like you're just now starting. And I'm thinking, ah, oh. but I think that's just life, guys. Now I'm not even talking about Frank anymore. Sorry, Saruti, focus me back on Frank. Yeah, I, what I would say is Frank said that he was going to what? Give up a week of yeah, going we asked out. Yeah, do a week. Yeah, a week which actually isn't no that big of a deal. I would imagine most guys listening to this podcast do that by themselves without any help. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how hard that is <laughs> necessarily, but he's trying. Yeah, I, 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 I think people were more mad at him. I think people, cause I even questioned a little bit. It's like, did you just want to be on a podcast and you send in an email and it definitely is interesting. And even if he's exaggerating, it's clear he's going on dates constantly. And when he goes to Dallas, but that's what, that's what I would wonder. Like, you know, something's a problem. It's like, okay, as soon as you land in Dallas, are you firing up the app to see what all your options are? And it seems like yes. But if you're making money and you feel like you have a career more so than you have a job, which is always kind of my number one piece of advice to guys, like you got to find something that's a career that's not a job and you're going to be happier. I know it seems harder, but that's really the only way, you know, you don't want to do something you hate every day that's a job. I mean, some of your careers you're going to hate too, but he seems to be fine with that part of it. And you know, you can say, oh, that's just, you know, just having money and being successful isn't happiness well it makes it a hell of a lot easier okay it, it's it doesn't guarantee anything but boy i like your chances better when you have a career that you're doing well and and you like it and you're able to pay the bills but part of me just wondered if he wanted to come on and be like i'm i'm kind of the dude you know i'm getting it done i don't know i don't know if i believe that i mean you i really I, like frank Is I, it because you've been texting it's with probably because i've been texting with him and i i do think he's a good dude and i don't think he was just doing this to get attention um, so give me more. Give me more that you can share without feeling like you're selling out Frank. Well, I think what? one of the he, – he basically was like, oh, listen, I tell all my buddies about this, and they listen to the pod, and they gave me they gave me all this crap for it. But they know it's true. They know that they know that I do all these things, and it's – you know, it. it's also, I would imagine, not super easy to just go on dates every night of the week. Like, at some point, you want to just kind of ha- chill, have some time for yourself. And I know he said that in going out to dinner, but I don't know. I, I – I I think in reading through the lines here that he sort of feels like this is a cool thing and it's like it's it's sort of a brag, but also he doesn't want to do this for that much longer, even if he doesn't want to yeah. rush into something. Okay, all right. So that's what I would say, and I, I don't think that's ridiculous because like I I feel I feel like I would feel the same way. Like I don't want to, you know, sure it's it's great, especially in your mid twenties. Yeah, you're gonna go down on these dates and it's awesome, but like at some point that does get a little bit old, right? Like you want to just kind of like hang out and watch Game of Thrones one night with somebody. Yeah, I mean, the whole point of having the girlfriend isn't the Vegas weekends or all the biggest stuff. It's sweatpants and it's bad TV and it's a cheeseburger. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's the good, you know what I'm talking about, sir. Exactly. That's the good stuff right there. And, so, uh, but I mean, the, I don't know how much we could actually get into this, but you did have some interesting tweets from maybe some locals. No, let's do this. Yeah, because that's exactly what I was going to do. Great instincts. There was a guy that was like, I, have a mutual friend and we met up, we all met up together and it was cringeworthy. And then some girl chimed in. It was like, yeah, I was there. He's the worst or something like I'm paraphrasing a bit, but it was just some serious high heat chin music being thrown at Frank on Twitter. And that made me think, okay, maybe Frank sucks or some people heard that he was on the podcast and people were talking about him and they had a bad interaction and if he has one bad one out of 800, that's still a pretty good percentage. And I also know how this stuff works. I remember something stupid happened with me and some girl wrote into a blog and 
she was like, Ryan's always been, you know, he, if a girl doesn't like him, he gets really mad and then he'll, uh, he'll make up stories about her. He did it to me in fourth grade. Wow. Yeah. Which I haven't, I don't remember what I was like at nine, uh, dating. I don't, I don't remember it real well. Probably and I different. thought, I was like, this is somebody who I went to elementary school with that decided to chime in with this tidbit. Uh, Did you know who it was? No. That's no, even better. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was absurd. The whole thing was absurd. Because first of all, none of, look, nobody wants to go, hey, actually, yeah, that's kind of my move. Like, I'm really weird when I get dumped. I, I make up stories about people, and uh, that's how I that's how, that's my coping mechanism. I Look, I shut down, and I ignore. That's That's what I do. So it was kind of funny. So I didn't know if this was a thing where it's like one guy didn't like him and then somebody else didn't like him and they just started tweeting away at our accounts going, oh, yeah, yeah, this guy's the worst. So I didn't know it was real or not. Did he say anything about that to you? I guess no. we should save it. No, he did not say anything about that. Um, you know, again, when, when we hadn't, this was like about a, this was last Thursday, I believe. So right kind of when he was starting to get all the crap, right after it came out and, he didn't seem very phased by it though, which is good. Cause I told, I mean, I essentially told him like, don't, you just can't, you can't be worried about people not liking you, especially people that you've never even met before on the internet. So maybe that's what happens here. Maybe though, it's his only in first, I'm sure it's his first taste of like, whoa, this is what it's like. Yeah. It's weird. Everybody just crushes you. Yeah. Huh. Cause you know what? The other thing you don't want to do, like I remember a long time ago, I'd gone, it was a girl, you know, whatever's talking to you and, I'd asked her like, Hey, you know, are you going to be around? And, and she was like, well, I'm kind of a serial dater. So you never know. And I went, Oh, whoa, sweet. <laughs> like, you know what? Hey, next time lie. <laughs> and just say, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe hit me up. And it was so like, there's some people being like, Oh, I like the honesty. I didn't. I hated it. I'm Even like, if she what? like ghosts you or just like says you know doesn't hang out with you next, I'd time, prefer least, being like, ghosted. Yeah, yeah, I, I would much prefer that. And to be like, yeah, no, I kind of I kind of date a lot of people. So yeah, you're <laughs> like one of, maybe. You're one of seventeen dudes I'm texting with right now. Like actually, you know what? Maybe just lose my number. Yeah, and so Frank, Frank's got to be careful here now because this podcast is huge. Yeah. You know, you'd be like, oh, are you Arkansas Frank who went on eight hundred dates, or six hundred dates plus? Another 150 or so meetups. I like the segment. I think people really like the segment. We he, will he's do... dying to get back on. Like he, I think he wants to defend himself too, and we will we will have him back on in the coming weeks for sure. Okay, but we're not going to do a 15 minute defense. No, just kind of like a we're hey, like what you think? You know, you got killed right away. Any update? Boom. Right, and then how are you doing? But it may, for the the sake of the the segment, for the growth of this, maybe we should have gone with the original 19 year old because I think I can help him. You know what it reminds me a little bit of. Is you remember that season of The Wire where Bunny Colvin was going to be this consultant after he'd lost his gig because of Amsterdam, and they brought him into the schools to see if they could get kids that were troubled into a smaller group and steer them in the right direction, and they were going to use high school kids, <laughs> and Bunny was like, no, there's those kids are too far gone. We can just start in middle school. That's the only way we can do it. I'm afraid Frank might be a high school kid in the wire, and the original kid that we may want to do could be a corner kid in junior high. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. Well, the the issue we had too was that like some of them were very serious issues, and yeah. 
I don't want to do that. Yeah, and I, that's just you know we you know we we want to we want to help people in their life and growing up and dating and whatever and whatever issues you have as kind of a young adult. But um, and Frank sort of checked a lot of those boxes off. So we you know and and the nineteen year old kid certainly is is in that similar group. And I've I've already reached out to him, so he's down for whatever. No, the nineteen year old kid we're, we're going to have him on. It just my consul- I have a consultant that I'm working with on the side who felt like if you do the very honest approach with him, he may be devastated and. I'm like, okay, but devastated is a big word here. But yeah, I don't want to do, like, we're having fun with this, and I don't want it to be depressing, is my whole point. Uh, Because the whole point of it for me is that I've screwed up probably everything I could ever screw up, and you can still come out okay. Yeah, which makes you the best to give advice, really. Like, that was my point. Like, if I had a perfect life, I'd be terrible at giving advice. You got to see some stuff. You gotta have a bad credit score. You know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta accidentally, you know, you gotta propose to somebody and get shut down. All right, easy guy. Relax. I'm just saying. <laughs> these are all, these are all compliments to you. Please subscribe to the Rosilla Show podcast. Can't thank you enough for everything. Rate and review and a little cross promotion here and everybody's okay with this. Check out Jason Witten on the dual threat pod from the ringer. We did the whole thing. We basically spent 40 minutes on him getting dumped on all season long for being bad at Monday Night Football and how did that make him feel? And then why did he go back to the Cowboys? He was incredible on the podcast. And just a reminder to always check out the Zach Lowe podcast, his basketball podcast, the Lowe Post podcast. He's going to have 538's NBA writer Chris Herring on this week as we get ready to gear up for the playoffs. Check it out, and we will talk to you next week.